Please turn to John chapter 9 as we continue our study in John chapter 9. Our scripture is before us this morning, verse 18 through 34, but we will begin in verse 13 for the context. The title of my message is, What Do You Know? John chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. As we consider, as we read through, three perspectives we find in our section of Scripture this morning. Three um, individuals or groups of people, the Pharisees, who say, we know, we know, we know, we know. They know this, they say. And then the parents, who knew certain things and other things they denied that they knew. And then there was the man who was born blind. His knowledge of who he knew and what he knew was produced by who he knew. He would say how he would live because of, indeed, who he knew, that being Christ. As Eric Alexander once said, the evidence of knowing God is obeying God. John chapter 9, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the man blind, uh, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And that's where we uh, ended off last time. But the Jews then did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And questioned them, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? Then how now does he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Then he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. 
Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of the person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Father, again, I ask for your help. God, I ask for your power and strength, and God, that you would indeed save the lost this morning, help the saints this morning, give us understanding of who you are this morning, for the glory of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So several points for us this morning as we consider this text. The Pharisees, once again, they were adamant. They were going to trap Jesus because they wanted to kill him. And they continued to use various means to try to get this accomplished. And so the interrogation continues as the Pharisees continued in their rejection of Jesus. Their hardened hearts, their hardened hearts, they were determined not to believe that this man was healed by Jesus. They were not rejoicing in this man's healing. They were furious. And they proceeded to interrogate the man and also his parents, as we will uh, investigate, as we will look into. These were cold, calculating, conniving Pharisees. To them, Jesus did not fit the narrative. He did not fit their agenda. He was a threat to their agenda. And this man, who was blind but now could see, was also a threat as he would not give them answers that they wanted. These Pharisees had power, and they wanted to keep their power. They had prestige, and they wanted to keep that prestige. They had been embarrassed by Jesus, and they would try every angle to trap him in order to kill him. But the man who stood before them now was another pawn for them to use for the goal of trapping Jesus. But first, they had to discredit the man's testimony. In order to do that, they called the parents in for their further interrogation. The Pharisees would continue in their stubborn hard-heartedness, rejecting Jesus, even though they could not debate him, even though they tried. They could find no fault in him, even though they attempted to do so. And they could not deny the miracles that he did, that he did, even though uh, they wanted to. They did not want a savior like Jesus, and that is true today. People who, without Christ, who are hostile to the things of the Lord, who are hostile to Jesus Christ, when you present who Jesus Christ is, oftentimes who Jesus Christ is, oftentimes they don't want the Jesus that is found in the Scriptures. They want a Jesus of their own imagination. Or they will proclaim a Jesus according to their own imagination. A false Jesus, a Jesus not found in the Scriptures. One that maybe they're parroting from things that they've heard uh, for, for years or from somewhere, somehow. But they, the Pharisees, did not want a Savior like Jesus. They wanted their merits, their rule-keeping, to be their saving grace. They did not want forgiveness. They did not even see the need. 
Richard Phillips suggests. People object to Jesus today for the same reasons. They object to confessing their sins before God and admitting their need for the kind of Savior Jesus is, who is the Lamb of God, who died for sinners. They had hearts of stone and hardened wills. They were not concerned with this man who was before him as an individual. They did not care about him. They cared about their agenda. They cared about getting Jesus. So they had hardened hearts, and they continued to move forward in their insincere inquisition, their insincere inquisition. For they did not believe until they heard from his parents. Three questions they ask in order to get this miracle disproved. They asked of the parents, okay? So they weren't getting anywhere with this, this man. Let's get the parents involved. Let's see what we can get out of them. Three questions are, asks, are asked. Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How does he now see? Answer us. No congratulations, no rejoicing, no uh, putting their arm around this couple saying, we're so thankful now that your son who was born blind and now he's an adult and he can see. Uh, wow, this is a, we don't know what this is all about, but wow, this is, a, this is a wonderful thing. There was none of that. They were indeed more pawns. For the Pharisees' chess match in an attempt to dethrone the king. Think about how these parents must have felt. Their son was born blind. He couldn't have a life like the others his age as a child growing up. Now he's an adult. He used to sit and beg. And he's no longer blind because Jesus Christ healed him. Imagine their sorrow turning to joy, mourning into dancing, despair into rejoicing. When they saw him for the first time, and they couldn't believe their eyes, pun intended, there's our son, and he can see now. If they knew that it was Jesus that healed him, now was their chance to at least tell it to the Pharisees. Now was their chance to mention, yes, it was this Jesus. For he was a popular figure. People knew who Jesus was as far as knowing his name and hearing uh, the stories and the, the accounts of what Jesus was doing in the local area. But they were in quite the predicament, weren't they? If they did threaten the power and prestige of the Pharisees, they could be kicked out of the synagogue. So did they know? Did they know indeed what happened? Well, they were in a prickly predicament. There was an insincere inquisition that was taking place with the parents by the Pharisees, and now they were in a prickly predicament. We know that this is our son, they said. They all admit to that. We admit he's our son. We know that he was born blind. Yes, that is, that is a fact. He is our son. He was born blind. 
But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Who said anything about somebody who opened the eyes? Who mentioned a who? The parents did. The Pharisees asked, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? They didn't ask, did this Jesus open his eyes? The parents said, we know he now sees, but how he now sees, excuse me, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. Now, I would give the um, opinion that they knew. And as I studied different theologians, as I was working through this, and uh, I agreed with their thinking that the parents knew because they said, who opened his eyes? We do not know. And they were afraid because they would get kicked out of the synagogue. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And they said, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Well, according to Leon Morris, to be an adult in this period of time, to be considered an adult, a man who was of age would be 13 years old in a day. 13 years old and a day. You are on your own two feet. Answer the religious leaders who are before you. You answer them because you're, you're a man now. Or the, the vernacular could mean he is old enough to reason rather than he is legally of age. He's old enough to reason. He knows a right from wrong. He knows uh, certain things. Likely this man was quite a bit older than 13 years and a day old. But the parents testified to a point, but no further. They were not there when he was healed. Even if he told them how and who healed them, they are claiming ignorance here. We do not know. So they put the answer back to their son. Let him stand on his own two feet and answer for himself. Yet the man had done nothing wrong. Surely his parents would have vigorously defended him. He did nothing. The man did nothing wrong. Why wouldn't his parents say, yes, this is true. He's saying it and and we believe it. They would only admit the basic facts about him. The response of the parents were quite interesting. The way they responded and the fact that they put the answer to their son alone and that they feared the Jews leads to the conclusion that they were not being entirely truthful. Possibly, I say. It seems that they were more concerned, though, with the fallout of the Jewish leadership and the synagogue than they were for the truth. Their son, who was an adult who was born blind, now could see. And the man said, it was Jesus. You would think the parents would say, yes, we believe him. This is a miracle. But they feared man rather than fearing God. They did not want to acknowledge Christ. Because of the consequences. No doubt they were in a tough spot. As I grappled through this, I, I went from uh, feeling compassion for these parents to uh, feeling some type of uh, up, 
anger towards these parents, if I could use that, or being upset with these parents, or not wondering why, why wouldn't you uh, say anything? But they were in quite a predicament. They were in a tough spot, no doubt about it. They faced some form of discipline or excommunication by the synagogue. Unjustly so, but that's what would happen. And we consider for Christians this morning, as we stand for the truth, there'll be a times when no one will stand with you, when you will stand alone. And Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has something to say about this. Please turn to Matthew chapter 10 for a moment. Matthew chapter 10. The meaning of discipleship, I'll just begin in verse 24, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he became that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, says the Lord, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Pausing there for a moment, Jesus causes division. There is, a, there is division in families because of Jesus. Because of some who follow Jesus and others who hate Jesus Christ. There will be a division. And what do we do with that as Christians is the question. How do we respond to that? Jesus says, For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. As one stands for Christ, oftentimes those who are hostile to the things of the Lord, who hate Jesus within our own family, will turn against us, will turn us in if it comes to that. He who loves father or mother more than me, says Jesus, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And as we find in John, there is a very different response 
to the parents who were before the Pharisees and the man who was healed by Jesus Christ as he stood before the Pharisees. There is quite a different response. Christians, if you stand for Christ, you may or you may not have others stand with you. But if you stand against Christ and the things for, uh, that are against the word of God and things that are against Jesus Christ, do not expect Christians to stand with you. And as this man was standing before the Pharisees and his, his parents, because he named Christ, his parents would not stand with him. Children in here this morning, there will be a time when you will have to stand on your own two feet. When you will have to face the music, as it were. Or you may have to face difficulties for something you did that your parents said, Don't do that. Don't go down those roads. Don't follow that path. We've pleaded with you, son or daughter, for 15 years. We've prayed with you daily for 15, 16, 17 years. And here you are, and here we are at the police station this morning. And you expect us to get you out of this. You're 18 years old. We've warned you. We've pleaded with you. Stand on your own two feet. We love you. We are here for you. We pray for you. But you have denied Christ. And you have done a horrific thing. And we can't get you out of this. Hypothetical situation, but it happens all too often, doesn't it? Hardened heart, insincere inquisition, prickly predicaments. And then we have here the magisterial manipulation. Magisterial manipulation as we go back to John. As I should have turned back there. The magisterial manipulation, verse 24. So the parents said in verse 23, He's of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Okay, so they're telling him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So insinuating that he, he lied about what happened. Okay, they, he talked to the parents, and uh, now the parents are gone. Now they're bringing him back again for another interrogation. And they're insinuating, perhaps, maybe they're playing good cop, bad cop, or good Pharisee, bad Pharisee, insinuating that he, he lied or pretending that they had some new information. Give glory to God. Another setup. This phrase, gives, give glory to God in the situation, uh, goes back to Joshua chapter 9 when Achan was found, or actually chapter 7, when Achan was found in sin and he was confronted. And Joshua said to him, 
My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And he explained that he coveted and what he took, and he hid it. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after he had stoned them with stones. So as the Pharisees here in the interrogation are saying, Give glory to God, you, they are saying, in other words, you're lying to us. You have been lying. Uh, we know that this man is a sinner. Fess up now. We're the experts, the religious leaders. We know certain things. You don't. It's quite striking that they know something so sure of it, but they have not a shred of evidence. This is intimidation and manipulation at its best. They are cornering this man to say things as if he is under oath. They called him a sinner. They called Jesus a sinner, a term used for, uh, to describe who they really looked down upon, such as tax collectors and prostitutes, and those who did not fit their criteria. So they had this magisterial manipulation. And then we see the man responds with a temperate testimony, a temperate testimony. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So this man does not take the bait and going into the theological arguments of, oh, you say he's a sinner. He was, he was on to their scheme. You make your judgment on him. You say he's a sinner. I know nothing of that, he is saying. The man standing before them, being interrogated by them, would not unite with them, with their statements. The man was unable to debate the Pharisees with their theological astuteness at a level that they were used to engaging in. But the man knew one thing, didn't he? And what he knew could not be disputed. He would not allow the Pharisees to shake his disposition. I do know that though I was blind and now I see. The man's limited knowledge of Christ was enough to refute anything the Pharisees had to say. They could not change the fact that this man was born blind and now he could see. And that Christ was the one who gave him sight. They could not change that. They could do nothing about that for it was the truth. These few words, which every true Christian can apply to himself or herself, especially if you're just coming to know the Lord or you're new in the faith. I don't know many things, but I know one thing. I was blind before and and now I see. And Jesus is the one who opened my eyes. And that's why I remind us often when you're engaging in evangelism, And somebody is stumping you for a lack of a better way of saying it. But you know the Bible doesn't teach that. You go back to that. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. Well, this is what the Bible says. Because the Bible is the Word of God. And man cannot argue with it. They can try, but they will try and they will not succeed. One who walks in darkness will know when he begins to walk in the light. A.W. Pink asks the question, Can a man repent and not know it? 
Can he believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of his soul and not know it? Can he pass from death unto life, be delivered from the power of darkness, and translate into the kingdom of God's dear Son and not know it? He says the saints of God or the the children of God are a people that know. We know one thing, we were blind and now we see. We may not know all the theological uh, things in the Bible and the systematics and this and this, but we know one thing, we can see now because of Jesus Christ. As Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Can you say that of yourself this morning? I was blind spiritually, and now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive together in Christ. So his temperate testimony led him to be bold, but not bombastic. Bold, but not bombastic. What did he do to you, they asked him. How did he open your eyes? The interrogation starts over once again. They were not satisfied with his answers. They had been unsuccessful in their attempts to disprove the miracle. Unsuccessful in their attempts to get the evidence they wanted from his parents. And they would not get this man to speak negatively of Jesus. And it drove them mad. Let's start over again. Perhaps he will contradict himself. Perhaps they could wear him down to where he would just say, okay, okay, what do you want me to do? I'll sign it. Just where is it? Just I'll say anything. But he would not. He was bold but not bombastic. Notice his response in verse 27. I told you already, and you did not listen. There's a change of tone here with this man. He explained it to them clearly, plainly, simply. They asked him these questions and he told them, but they would not listen. So he says, why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? So we could see some little bit maybe of sarcasm in here, as, as well as this man aligning himself with one of Jesus's, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You Pharisees do not want to become his disciples too, do you? As if the man was calling himself a disciple of Jesus. Because he is not denying Christ. He would not. The man must have known that such a question would invoke a negative response. He was on to their scheme. Notice his boldness in the face of opposition. He was bold. And then come the insults and indignation. The insults and indignation. All their build-up indignation, all their frustration let loose on this man at this point from what he said. They reviled him. This doesn't mean they just got angry and said some harsh words to him. They spit upon him as he stood before them. They were rude to him. They were hurling insults at him. They are also, they're saying he's a disciple. Oh, you're a disciple of Christ. Therefore, in their opinion, he was an apostate. Because in their opinion, you could not be a disciple of Jesus Christ and be a disciple of Moses as well. 
So this man was standing there on his own. He had no one else there. His parents were already out of the picture. They said, you're standing on your own two feet now with this, with Jesus, because they were, fe- they were fearful that they would get thrown out of the synagogue. And here's this man. And he would not bow to the Pharisees. They reviled him, treated him harshly. And we know what it's like to be where someone says something really nasty to us and really rude to us. Multiply that by much with this man who had much to lose as far as in his life, as far as being kicked out, as far as being shunned by the community as well once they found out. They said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. You can kind of hear the sneering there. You're his disciple. We were disciples of Moses. The irony is that they were not true disciples of Moses. They were the true apostates. They were the apostates. They were the ones denying Christ. They were the legalists. They continue, we know that God has spoken to Moses. This is referring to Exodus 33. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord would used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. So that's the reference from from Exodus 33, verse 9 through 11. We know that God has spoken to Moses, they said, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Speaking, of course, of Christ. And so the man who was formerly blind, who Jesus opened his eyes as he is standing there being reviled, uh, being insulted, being spat upon as he stood there with his, at first, his temperate testimony. And then he was bold, yet not uh, bombastic. And the insult and indignation were, were, were upon him. And then uh, there's the piercing proclamation of what this man says. The piercing proclamation. The man answered and said to them, the, the beggar turns the tables on the religious elite, those who uh, thought they knew it all. This beggar turns the tables on them. And he answers, well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. You don't know, he's saying to them? You, the religious experts, all of you who were standing before me, as it were, cannot explain a simple thing like this. You cannot even determine where Jesus is from. And yet he opened my eyes. Remember the opening of blind eyes, the characteristic of the times of the Messiah. As we see in the Old Testament. He says this, he continues, We know that God does not hear sinners. Well, everyone in here is a sinner. Does that mean God doesn't hear any of us? No, we're redeemed sinners. And the context here is that unbelievers, those who do not know God, he does not hear. And there's other texts uh, to support this. Uh, Proverbs 15, 29. I'll just read these for you. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 
And I'll give you a few more, but let me read, continue on with his statement here. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. He hears the one who obeys him. He hears the God-fearers and those who do his will. He will hear your prayers. God hears those who fear and obey him. Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Are you upright this morning? Are you walking with Jesus Christ? Even when you feel that he does not hear in your prayers or or the, the statement that it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, that they're not getting to God. They are getting to God. He has a, he, he hears your prayers and he will respond as he seems fit in his will. Proverbs 28, 9, he who turns his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. The ones who turn from what the Lord says, their prayers are an abomination. You can't expect to be walking away from the Lord in contrast to what I just said, to walking away and saying, well, I think I'm just going to go down this road and, and sin here and live in this here and expect God to, uh, to answer your prayers and expect God to, um, to bless you or to bless your family or, or whatever it may be. No, the upright, those who are walking with the Lord. Psalm 34, 15, 16, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against the evildoers. And in Psalm 45, this one I did not write write down, but I highlighted in green, so that means I'm going to go there. Psalm 145, actually. You can write that down if you'd like for later. I'm just going to read it for you quickly. Psalm 145 and verse 17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his deeds. The Lord is near to those who call upon him. Call upon him this day, brothers and sisters. He is near to you, to those who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Perhaps there's some in here who do not know Christ. Cry out to him. Cry out to him this morning so that he will save you. The Lord keeps all who love him, but for the wicked he will destroy. Look at that warning there in the word of God. And then the psalmist says, My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. So several, several proverbs, a, a couple of psalms there. And this, what the man says here, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears them. Daniel Doriani tells of Hugh Latimer, who was a leader of the English Reformation. On one occasion, he had the daunting privilege of preaching before the sometimes violent King Henry VIII. Latimer was about to say something to the king and something that he might dislike and fell into an audible dialogue with himself as he stood there in a pulpit. Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. He was telling himself, the king is here. And then he paused and said, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. The king of kings is here. Another reformer, John Knox, was even more famous than Latimer for boldness in the face of danger. When he died, they said, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. 
Oh, that God would give us such boldness in such a time as this. As the man continues, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. This was an unprecedented event. Healing of blind before? Yes. Healing of a man born blind? Unprecedented. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing, he says. There's a strong double negative here in the Greek. Uh, So there's emphasis. This man is from God, he is saying. He could not do this unless he was from God. Agreeing with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And so we see as the man has a piercing proclamation as he stands before the Pharisees we find a ruthless response from the Pharisees. So with everything that they tried to get him on, everything that they tried to get him to say and deny the Lord and say this about the Lord and say that, as they reviled him, spat upon him, and as he had a proclamation of who Christ is, their ruthless response was, as they answered him, you were born entirely in your sins and are you teaching us? So they put him out. They had been defeated. They had been embarrassed by a man who had been a beggar his entire adult life. So they put him out. This word here signifies they put him out with force. They threw him out. And when they said you were born entirely in your sins, possibly they were implying that his blindness at birth was due to his sin. So indeed, if they are... uh, saying that in so many words, they're admitting that he was blind at birth, which they were denying the whole time. The man did what was right. He stood for truth. He stood for Christ. The man called Jesus, he started saying. The man called Jesus. He, he's the one that healed me. He's a prophet Then he said, he opened my eyes. Then he said, he's from God. Then he says. The proud religious leaders threw a man out of the synagogue for standing for truth, for refusing to deny Christ. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. They put him out for standing for truth, for doing what is right. And sadly, this happens today in churches where there is something done sinfully, whether it be in leadership or in the church, and there are people whose eyes are being opened, and they stand for truth, and they stand for Jesus, and they are put out for doing so. Now, excommunication is something that the Bible teaches, but not this way that they do it. Not this way at all. What they meant for evil, God used for good. He was thrown right into the arms of Jesus. He refused to compromise. He refused to stand down. He refused to deny Christ. And it cost him much. But it was worth it. The reward was much greater. 
as he was thrown into the arms of Jesus. And as you come to the situation when you must stand for Jesus Christ, then you have a choice, either stand for Christ or deny him. Pray that God would give you the boldness to stand for him and that you would not deny him. Because if you stand for him, you can be, you'll be thrown right into the arms of Jesus. Persecution is promised to every believer. Trials and tribulations will come. But God never leaves us nor forsakes us. I want to read for, for us from James Montgomery Boyce, speaking of a testimony that Donald Gray Barnhouse mentioned years ago. He begins with this. He says this, Fail to confess Christ and go along with the world and its values. Compromise to the standards of Christian conduct and the world will welcome you. And they'll welcome you with open arms. But confess Christ boldly. Live as a Christian and you'll soon find yourself unwelcome in the world's assemblies. It is as it, as it would be as the world would excommunicate you. A number of years ago, during the First World War, Donald Gray Barnhouse had the opportunity of leading the son of a prominent American family to the Lord. The young man was in the service. So when he professed to accept Christ as his Savior, he immediately made a public testimony to that fact among the soldiers of his company. In time, the war ended, and the day came when he was returned to his pre-war life in the wealthy suburb of a large city. He talked to Barnhouse about it and shared his fears that he might soon slip back into his old habits among his old friends. But listen to what Barnhouse said. Barnhouse told him that he would not have to give these people up. Instead, they would give him up if he made a public confession of his faith in Jesus Christ. As a result of their conversation, the young man agreed to tell the first ten people of his old set, whom he met, that he become a Christian. The soldier left his unit and went home. Almost immediately, in fact, while he was still at the suburban station, at the end of his return trip, he met a girl whom he had known. She was delighted to see him and asked how he was doing. He told her, the greatest thing that could possibly happen has happened to me. Oh, she exclaimed, you're engaged to be married. No, he told her, it's even greater than that. I have taken the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The girl's expression froze. She mumbled a few polite words and quickly went on her way. A short time later, the new Christian met a young man whom he had known. The young man informed him that there would be some good parties now that the soldier has returned. And he said to him, I've just become a Christian. Again, it was the case of frozen smiles and a quick exchange of conversation. After this, the same circumstances were repeated with a young couple with, uh, and two more old friends. By this time, the word had gotten around, and soon friends stopped seeing him. He had become peculiar, religious, and who knows? They may have even called him crazy. What had he done? Nothing but confess Christ. But the same confession that had aligned him with Christ had separated him from those who did not want him. So it will be for all who are faithful in their testimony. If you're a Christian 
It is not good to be spoken well of by everyone. All will not believe, and yet you are to bear testimony so that by the grace of God you might win some. Father, as we look to your word this morning, as we have studied the reaction of the man whose eyes the Lord had opened, he would not deny Christ by the grace of God. He would tell the truth of what Jesus had done for him. Even in the face of those who were esteemed and prestigious and had all the power, he stood for you, Jesus, that you would give us the boldness, that you would give us the grace, whatever predicament we may find ourselves in, whatever interrogation we may have, that we would not deny that although I was blind, now I see. And I know that my Redeemer lives. O Lord, you have been so kind to us each and every day. As we go about, as we depart today, God, that you would have us to meditate upon these things, on your word, on what we heard this morning. And knowing at times we may stand alone, but we're not really alone because you are with us. Thank you for your kindness that you have shown us. In Jesus' name, amen.